Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. It's only one Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how are we doing today? Uh, doing great. I, I do have a question, though, and this is something I've, I've been trying to figure out all week, and I can't come up with a solution. So I didn't know, Carson, do you have any good way to figure out how to settle a tie? Because uh, <laughs> this seems to be very controversial in an instance which should not be very controversial. Uh, go figure. Well, if you're tied with someone, I would think head-to-head would be the first tiebreaker. Seems regional. Seems reasonable. Um, yeah, no, the Big 12, kind of Big 12 all over itself this week. Um, went the wrong way, came back the right way, and now it's just explaining, and uh, people are mad on the Twitter. By the way, if you're tweeting at me, I am locked out of my Twitter. I've got the two-factor authentication, but then I got a new computer, and I'm logged out. So I've contacted uh, X support, and they said hopefully a few days, maybe longer. But if you're tweeting at me, and I'm not responding to anyone, that is why. I cannot get into my Twitter account. <laughs> That's no good. Uh, hope you get that back in time for kickoff. I know. I, I don't know if I'll have it. Honestly, I, I just reached out to them yesterday is whenever I lost access. So I'm doubting that they get back to me before early next week. So I will probably be without Twitter through the weekend, which during football season is not great. I, I only log in on my computer. I'm not logged in on my phone because that caused a Twitter addiction for me that I couldn't get away from. Uh, and my screen time was ridiculous. So I only use it when I'm on my computer. And when I got a new computer, I now no longer have access to my Twitter. So, uh, yeah, kind of a mess, but I'll get it back eventually. That's pretty smart. I think my wife would like me to delete Twitter from my phone, too. I, eventually, it got to the point where I just I had to. And it was it was after we had the baby because I was just sitting there one night scrolling Twitter. And my wife said something. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to miss her growing up because I'm sitting here on Twitter every night, every yeah. evening scrolling, keeping up with the, the sports news and the world news. It's not that important. I can check it on my computer. And then when I'm, I'm with my daughter, I'm not glued to my phone. So it has been a, a nice change in my life that I would recommend to anyone who can pull it off and, and it's reasonable to do. Well, the tiebreaker scenarios from the Big 12 are big news. Uh, you and I were under the assumption uh, after the postgame pod on, against UCF that, you know, since Oklahoma State obviously owned the, the tiebreaker scenario with Kansas State, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, really all the big players that it was pretty simple that they just needed Iowa State to lose. We thought, well, then it comes out that um, apparently, even though they would own the head-to-head against Oklahoma and Kansas State, that that would not, in fact, give them the nod over those other two schools, which caused a lot of confusion. And I don't know about you, Colby, but it, it certainly felt like before they've issued this clarification that the most OSU thing possible was in play in that they own the tiebreaker over two teams and still don't go, which would fall right in line with killing the BCS, killing the four-team playoff. I mean, OSU was hosed in both of those scenarios or were in discussions on both scenarios to where it's like, oh, well, maybe a 12-team playoff would work. Uh, I could go down the line on how many times OSU's been hosed, but it certainly felt like it was trending that way until all this clarification news started breaking. Yeah, it seems like, and maybe it's just because this is who we cover, this is who we love, and we pay attention to every last thing that happens with Oklahoma State. But you mentioned the BCS. It's like, oh, Oklahoma State got screwed here. We should change this so other schools don't get screwed in the future. Same thing happened with the basketball program and the NCAA. It's like, oh, 
Oklahoma State got absolutely screwed by this NCAA decision. We need to now implement a new rule so that this doesn't happen to Kansas and Bill Self can get a contract extension and win another natty and ride off into the sunset at the end of his career. The, the rules seem to get changed after Oklahoma State gets hosed, which is what I thought was going to happen here. But I, I want to read the actual wording of the original tiebreaker rule. This is the first tiebreaker when there are multiple tied teams. This is word for word. I swear how this reads head to head and then in parentheses, best cumulative win percentage in games among the tied teams, period. If not, every tied team has played each other, go to step two. That is the exact wording. That is a very loose interpretation of the English language. That is not how sentences are constructed. That makes no sense. There's no, no wonder there was confusion. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know how they thought that that would just be super clear at the end of the season in a conference with a ton of parity where a tiebreaker, where, where, where a tie is a likely thing to happen between multiple teams. The way that that was written initially was such a disaster. So uh, before I lost Twitter, I saw some OU fans in the replies to, to the clarification of the rule saying, well, the original, of course, the original rule was stupid, but you can't change it in the middle of the season. Well, no, but you can clarify it when that's the original wording. And shockingly, before Oklahoma State gets screwed, not after common sense prevailed and the rule was clarified to where if Oklahoma State finishes the season tied with only Kansas State and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State will go to the Big 12 championship game. So the original wording, head-to-head, if not, every tied team has played each other, go to step two. What? Who? I mean, so I'm pistols firing, or maybe it's Barry Trammell. It's like, did a fourth grader write this? Just <laughs> An utter disaster in the wording of that rule from the Big 12. Um, thankfully, common sense prevailed before Oklahoma State got left out of the Big 12 championship in favor of a team that they beat this season. Yeah, and I... The funny thing is, for all the OU conspiracy theorists, like, OU wasn't winning that scenario as it was poorly written. Kansas State is who really is upset with this clarification that's come down from the Big 12 because right. under the step two... Would have been Kansas State. So I don't know why Oklahoma fans are all up in arms. It really didn't hurt them. I mean, any more than they already they already need a lot of help, point blank. And to 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 strike an arrow through all these conspiracy theories even further, we must remember this is the same Big Twelve that paid millions and millions of dollars for a one true champion marketing campaign. Millions of dollars were put into this commercials, slogans, signs, you name it. And what happened at the end of that season? You had a two-way tie in a round-robin format where everyone played everyone. Just two teams were tied. It was Oklahoma, and it was Kansas State. And Kansas State won in Norman, no less. And for some reason, Bob Bowlesby presents a trophy in Fort Worth. I'm covering the game at the time on behalf of Channel 5. Oklahoma beats TCU. And I was so confused because there's a Big 12 trophy. They're putting on hats. I'm like, wait a second. You guys lost Kansas State at home. They're the Big 12 champion. I thought the, the one true champion got, for some reason, I still don't understand to this day, there was no rule written down that said head-to-head is a tiebreaker, apparently. And that's the most basic way of settling a tie in the history of sport. Don't, don't they forget, screwed it up then. Don't forget TCU and Baylor, too, the year that Cardell Jones won the Natty. Ohio State shouldn't have even been in the playoff. TCU should have been, but the Big 12 couldn't name a conference champion. Yes. That, or maybe the one true champion came after the OU-Kansas State fiasco. 
Maybe that was it. And then they still handed out two trophies to Baylor and TCU. The point is, though, this conference has bungled this ever since they went to no no conference championship game to decide who the champion is. That That's the facts. And OU should not count that title. I mean, it'd be one thing, Colby, if Oklahoma had lost in Manhattan and then you kind of get into that LSU-Alabama argument from 2011. It's like, well, they lost, but they had to play on the road. You know, that that they didn't even have that sliver of an argument. So the Big 12, Colby, it's not conspiracy. It's it's ineptness. That's that's the bottom line. It is absolutely if you're trying to decide between conspiracy, conspiracy and incompetence with the Big 12, it's incompetence. It's not conspiracy. Um, as far as OU claiming that title, Oklahoma State within the last six or seven years did win the 1945 national championship and hang that in the end zone. So I don't feel totally comfortable uh, ripping on other universities for claiming titles that they didn't actually win. But <laughs> yes, that there, there have been some goofy things going on in the big 12. Well, even my man, Gabe Iker in the post game, he was very sheepish about it. He's like, well, we did lose to Kansas state, but if, if, if they're going to give us these hats and give us a trophy, we're not going to say no, <laughs> you know? So yeah. they even kind of understood that that was pretty silly. Because guess what? OU's going to leave the Big 12, and, and that's going to be part of the resume. And nobody's going to care. No, I mean, we're going to talk about this now, but, I mean, 10 years from now when you're looking back at OU's resume, nobody's going to remember how they got that Big 12 championship. So, yeah, you take it, you move on, and it goes in the history books. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to visit Boone Pickens State like, oh, wow, they won the national championship in 1945. Who knew? Right. You know? <laughs> That's the longer you get away from it, the more you can get away from it or get away with it. Um, so there's there's a great tool on bball.notnothing.net slash big 12, if you can follow all that, where you can literally do, you can pick who wins each game the next two weeks in the big 12 and you can calculate the standings. Uh, I've played around with it, Colby, and it's become pretty clear that as long as Texas wins out, and Iowa State loses once, OSU's in. Is that is that the simplest way to put it? Uh, yeah, here's what I think needs to happen. And, and the, actually, here's what I know needs to happen for Oklahoma State to get in. Oklahoma State wins out, Texas wins out. Because Texas plays Iowa State this Saturday, so for Texas to win out, Iowa State would have to take a loss. Now, if Iowa State were to beat Texas this weekend, that would be worst-case scenario, absolute disaster for Oklahoma State, and would severely limit Oklahoma State's path to getting to the Big 12 championship game. They would need help from other places. Um, so the simplest route that I can find for Oklahoma State is um, Oklahoma State wins out, Texas wins out, and then that is the Big 12 championship game. Yep, that's that's the simplest way to put it. If Texas were to lose, I think you need, you need Iowa State to like, – I mean, if Texas does lose, it does open a floodgate of other scenarios. But essentially – you just need Iowa State to lose, and if you win, you're pretty much in. That is that even easier than counting on Texas to win out? Um. So let's see. So if so, I mean, obviously Oklahoma State has to win its last two games. If Oklahoma State doesn't win its last two games, none of these scenarios matter. But if Iowa State were to beat Texas, now Iowa State would have two conference losses, as would Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. So then theoretically, you would probably need Texas to lose to Texas Tech the final week of the season. You would need Kansas State to beat Iowa State the final week of the season, and then Texas would have two, three conference losses. Iowa State would have three conference losses. Uh, Iowa State, who you lost to, and then it would be you, Kansas State, and Oklahoma tied at the top, 
and then you would still hold the tiebreaker in the same scenario as if you were tied in second. So the scenarios, they start to get really goofy if Iowa State beats Texas or if Texas doesn't win out. Um, so Oklahoma State fans, Oklahoma State and Houston at 3 o'clock on Saturday, and then I believe Iowa State and Texas is at 7 o'clock, and you should just change the channel from one game to the next because they are of equal importance in my mind for Oklahoma State getting to Arlington. Well, I may have, I'm putting it into the calculator here. I've got Iowa State beating Texas. Okay. I've got Texas winning the next week against Tech. And I've got Iowa State beating Kansas State. So I have Iowa State winning the next two weeks. I calculate the standings and it's it's Bedlam. OSU 1, Oklahoma 2. It says, with Texas above Iowa State and Oklahoma based on winning percentage against number seven teams all played one time, above Texas based on record versus common conference opponents all played equal times. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all, I'm not sure, but that's what the calculator's spitting out. And I don't even know if we can trust this calculator fully, to be honest. No, no, that makes sense. I, I, didn't, I didn't factor in the Bedlam scenario where – Oh, where the head-to-heads wouldn't matter at all, and then it would just come down to winning percentage. No, I just did it, too, on the side. I calculated the standings, and that is what it would be. It would be OU-OSU, which, oh, man. I would just – I would rather play Texas. I love the way the last Bedlam ended. I love the way that I was there in person for that one. I love how much it has really broken OU fans' spirits and has really, really made them act uh, irrationally and say some just crazy things the last couple of weeks, and I want that to exist for eternity. I also think it would be great for Oklahoma State. Um, they'd be underdogs in the Big 12 championship against Texas, a Texas team they've had a ton of success against, a Texas team that Mike Gundy has had a ton of success against. And for Oklahoma State's image moving forward in the 12-team playoff after OU and Texas leave, if you could send them both to the SEC with losses and you could hold up a conference championship to go with it, that is my dream scenario, is that you already handled Oklahoma and you gave them a, a swift uh, boot to the backside on their way out the door. If you could do the same thing to Texas, that to me is just dream scenario for Oklahoma State. So I, I would rather see the Texas matchup in the Big 12 title game than another Bedlam. Yeah, I don't want to give Oklahoma any satisfaction. I don't want to give them any opportunity to go out with a win. You know, one of the worst losses of my OSU following life was the last game played in Old Gallagher, Bedlam, loss. They won the last game in Gallagher Iba, their last Bedlam. I think it was the last game too, making it even worse. But um how how brutal would that be for OU fans to to have to watch o, OSU and Texas, <laughs> their two rivals in the conference title game while they sit at home? Yeah, that'd be another a fun thing about it is for them. I, and I don't even know if they'd watch. They'd probably watch. I don't know. Some of them might boycott because Oh, they'd watch. Them. You're right. They they would hate watch. Because I watched I watched the OSU Baylor Big 12 championship game at a bar and there and I think I went off on this on the podcast that year. There was this loser OU fan dressed head to toe in Sooner gear just cheering against OSU the whole time and when when Baylor got that stop on the goal line, he acted like they won the Super Bowl. He acted like Oklahoma just won their first national championship since 2000. So as much as they don't want to admit it, a lot of them will be watching. Yeah, and that's probably the the same kind of OU fan That'll tell you it's not a, a rivalry. Um, I've got some mm-hmm. coming through your mic, too. That could be on my end or your end, but you might check that. Um, yeah, I, I just think that an Oklahoma State-Texas matchup would be great. I, I would prefer Oklahoma State's chances there just because you, you already won the Bedlam and the, the emotional energy of that 
And I think Oklahoma State would feel the pressure to do it again so that the Oklahoma, so that the win in Stillwater didn't almost kind of get negated, whereas Oklahoma would come out fired up at the chance to negate that loss in Stillwater. And, and I just think the, the, the emotional aspect of that would benefit Oklahoma, whereas you play Texas, and all of a sudden you get the chance to play spoiler there as they go to the SEC. And I'll tell you this. Carson, I know Oklahoma fans like to trot around and say that, you, you know, our biggest rivalry is Texas and all this stuff. I would be almost certain that OU fans on the whole, as a majority, would root for Texas in that Big 12 championship game because they are now buddies going to the SEC and they don't want to see their, you know, quote unquote, little brother win the conference in the last season and then send them both out. So I think as much as they talk down on the rivalry with Oklahoma State, I think that they would be rooting for Texas in that game, not for us. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, there were actually OU fans rooting for Texas in the national championship game against USC. That 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 really happened because that USC team, if they were to, if they had won that national championship, they really would have had a chance to break the 47 game winning streak the following year. So there was like this big sports talk radio debate on Texas versus USC. I thought the people rooting for Texas were nuts. You don't want your rival to win a national championship. But that's how much they care about things like the the forty seven game winning streak, which they should. It's a it's a tremendous mark and and record. But they're they're not opposed to to rooting for Texas if it if it comes to that. Oh no, not at all. And I think that would be the case uh, in what would that be? A little more than two weeks. So um, anyway, that's enough about OU in Texas. We've got another Texas school this weekend. Carson Houston. Yeah, Here. I thought Dana Holgerson, our old friend Dana. Chugging Red Bulls might get fired. I thought he said it well in his press conference. He said, you just throw that game away, talking about the OSU-UCF game. And again, I I don't know how you feel about it, Colby, but just looking back on it, like OSU was moving the ball just fine. It was the tipped ball interceptions, which are pretty fluky. You you rarely see one of those, let alone three. Uh, It was your Heisman contender putting the ball on the ground, running through an arm tackle, essentially. And then by the when you when you do that and you give them short fields the whole first half, like and your defense combines to play terrible and not get a stop when you need it, it's pretty I don't know. It I'm not nearly as concerned as I think maybe most fans probably are. I just think it was one of those kind of those snowball games. My gunny called it a snowball effect where Again, maybe the maybe the only real criticism I would have was Gundy punting on you know the fifty uh, when the when the tide had already completely turned. Maybe that's that's the one criticism I have. But for me, it's it's about fo- your your players taking care of the football first and foremost. I mean, OSU's been so good in the turnover margin coming into that game. They got they got beat handily in it and got beat handily on the field. I don't I don't think any of these two teams they have left remotely approach UCF's talent level nor schemes. So I'm not as concerned as. I'm probably at like a level two concern coming in the next two weeks. Yeah, Oklahoma State's going to win its next two games. I'll say it. And and if people want to have doubts over what happened last week, I get that. Um, I listened to Mike Gundy's radio show, listened to it back on Tuesday, and I thought it was it was the best of the season. I, I thought he said a couple of things that were actually illuminating about what happened during that game on Saturday. He's like, you know, we go out, um, we, we didn't, we didn't put any pressure on the quarterback early and we let him get into a rhythm and he's good enough that if he gets into a rhythm, he can make some plays. And that's what happened, right? They got you on the zone read. You weren't ready for the quarterback takeoff running. They go down and score. All right. You're now driving 
Ollie gets the ball stripped on a, a weak arm tackle. Um, if, if the ball doesn't pop out there, I'm not sure that guy even brings Ollie to the ground, which is what Gundy said. There was a hole there. Maybe he goes 20 yards. I don't know. Oklahoma State might score on that drive. And then, again, quarterback's in rhythm. Your defense doesn't start out great. They go score. But you're driving down again. You get a bad holding pl- a holding penalty whenever you're going to have first and goal inside the five. Next play, tip ball, interception, 17 to nothing. So then at that point, Gundy says that he gets on the headset to communicate with the offensive staff and says, all right, we're down 17 to nothing. We're going to change the script a little bit. We're going to have to throw it more than we wanted to, but we still want to incorporate the run game to make sure Ollie's getting the ball and all this good stuff. And and then he just flat out said, oh, and, and that's when the rain started coming in. Like, now you can't, <laughs> throw, the, now you can't throw the ball at all. And that's what I said. I, I was watching it with uh, my wife and my, my sister and her husband. And I'm like, when it was 17 to nothing and the rain started coming down like that, I looked at the radar and I'm like, it might, it might rain like this the rest of the game. Like, if it does, this game's over. You can't come back from 17 in this weather because you're not going to be able to get enough going on the ground in this monsoon when guys can't move their feet as well. And you can't throw the ball in this weather. You can't push it down the field. The little uh, quick out, th- those free routes that you've been getting to Leon Johnson and Rashad Owens where the corner's 12 yards off and you just throw it out there for a quick, easy seven and eight. Well, that's gone. The corner's not 12 yards off anymore. The corner's four yards off because he knows, okay, they can't throw it 50 yards in this rain. It's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, a bad start and then it was a downpour. So I throw that game completely out. I'm not worried about it. I'm treating it as if it just didn't happen, didn't exist, total fluke. And I think Oklahoma state wins its next two games. Um, I think Oklahoma state probably covers in its last two games. I don't think Houston or BYU are very good at all. I think Oklahoma state proved over the six weeks prior to the UCF game that they are a good football team. I think Oklahoma state will win its last two games by double digits. Did Mike expand on the offensive line injury situation? Because we're we're trending down the path we've seen the last several years where by the end of the year they can't block anybody because they're so beat up. Did he shed any light on that? He talked a little bit about that. Um, he actually talked more about the receiver injuries and how the guys who are out there have done a great job, but about how it's hurting more in practice than maybe it is on Saturdays because they can't practice guys as hard because if one more guy goes down, you've got a serious problem. And he talked a little bit less about the offensive line injuries specifically, but I would assume it's the same thing as guys go down. And as you lose that depth, you're not able to practice as hard. Um, and and you just, the, the margin for error in terms of injuries, when it comes to depth, it's just a lot slimmer than it was before. So, um, yeah, he talked about it more in context of the of the receivers, but I think the same would apply to O-line. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, they've been able to get away with, uh, with the receiver injuries I'm referencing. Um, but, you know, you had uh, Leon Johnson the third. you know, a couple of those tip ball interceptions, you know, hit him in the hands. So that's a guy that hasn't played a ton of football at this level. And while he's played great, I mean, not having – you know, your starting allotment of receivers can can bite you, especially when you're in a situation like they were against UCF where you got to throw it a ton. And then they think even Alan Bowman even was kind of like, look, when we're in that situation, like it's it's gonna be tough <laughs> for me. I'm not I'm not uh I'm not that guy, pal. I'm not gonna throw it 70 times, 60 times, 50 times anymore. We need to be able to run the football. And especially when the that's not even including all the rain and everything they had. So we are turning the page to Houston. What What's the point spread on the Houston game? It is seven currently. I think I saw it at seven, seven and a half earlier in the week. Uh, and with the seven, Houston is juiced at minus 115. Oklahoma State is minus 105. So for those of you who follow betting lines, that means uh, the Houston side is a little more expensive there. You've got to lay a little more if you want to bet Houston plus the seven. So uh, that being said, 
a touchdown spread. That's about what Texas is at Iowa State as well. Uh, the two games that Oklahoma State needs to go their way. Uh, yeah, Texas is minus seven and a half, and it's almost the same juice with Iowa State being a little more expensive if you want them plus the points. Both teams on the road as basically touchdown favorites. So um, for Oklahoma State to reach the Big 12 title game, I, I think it mostly comes down to this weekend. You, you just need your touchdown favorites to go out and win on the road, and I think both probably will. Yeah, Houston's a strange team. They they beat West Virginia on a Hail Mary. That's one of their two conference wins. And then they beat Baylor by one. Like, how bad is Baylor? They're three and six overall, two and four in conference, just like Houston. But Houston definitely in the discussion for worst team in the Big 12. I'd probably make the case they are. But, Colby, this is a game where, you know, they, they had Texas on the ropes. Uh, Texas got a controversial call. Another arrow to the... Big 12 conspiracy theorists, how the world that fourth down play wasn't reviewed, I'll never know, but Texas escaped Houston with a win. But I think a lot of people not associated with OSU are expecting this game to be close based on what they watched at UCF. Um, But I think a lot of it, Colby, I think for this game to be close at all, it has to be more turnovers from Oklahoma State. And I think their offensive line has to continue to be completely beat up and not be able to block for Ollie. That's the only way I see this game playing out as a close one. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and again, I think the mental part of this, the the energy part of this is something that we don't take into account enough. We just expect the same team to take the field every Saturday. And I don't think that that's how it works. Gundy acknowledged on his radio show that after the Oklahoma game, he said that they had a bad Tuesday at practice. And he said he told the team that it was a bad Tuesday at practice. I don't expect that to be the case. You get beat 45 to three, and now your backs are truly against the wall, right? Like last week, you kind of knew okay, we've got a little bit of a cushion. If we lose this one, we're probably still okay if things fall into place. Now that cushion is gone. You know you have to win. So from an an energy standpoint, an emotional standpoint, a a mental energy, just being totally locked in throughout the week and then again on Saturday, I think Oklahoma State will be in a much better position with that this week. Um, I don't know if Houston is the worst team in the Big 12. I almost want to give that title to Baylor. Um, this was a, a bad year to not have Baylor on the schedule, despite Oklahoma State struggling against the Bears at times. W- one of their conference wins, one of their only two conference wins, was the the goofy 28-point fourth quarter comeback against UCF. And that was a game in which UCF did not have its starting quarterback. If UCF would have had its starting quarterback, they just simply don't blow that lead. Um, so I think Baylor might be the worst team in the conference. But Houston's probably right there, and uh, those two can can fight for it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty ugly down there, but um, but I don't know. I th- this this game to me again, I think it depends more about OSU's health than anything. Ollie Gordon, Colby, he was injured trying to make the tackle on one of the interceptions. Kind of a weird looking injury. It, it looked like he whiffed, but maybe he got his shoulder kind of kind of caught up and make trying to make the tackle. Uh, he's been dealing with some rib injuries. He's been pretty beat up the last couple weeks, but um, if if he's healthy. I got to think Oklahoma State will have success running the football, and as long as they don't turn the ball over like they did against UCF, they should be able to establish him. And uh, but I'm I will say I'm concerned about Ollie's health moving going into this game with the way he went down in back to back games. He's had to he's had to leave the game for a period of time. Yeah, best case scenario is that Oklahoma State gets out to a great start and you're running away from Houston and you don't have to use him a ton in the second half. Uh, so he doesn't have to get more hits on his body because the Heisman campaign, that's over. That went out the window last week. That was one byproduct of, of the 
the egg that you laid last week is that the Heisman campaign is completely over for Ali Gordon. He can still win the Doak Walker, but I, I just, I'm more concerned with the Big 12 championship. Um, and he's not, I don't think he's like so injured that we have to worry about him not playing in the next couple of weeks or anything like that. But he's just not what he was in those games where he was going for 270, 280. Like the, the, the burst isn't there because your body gets worn down whenever you're carrying the ball 200 times over the course of six or seven weeks. That's just, that's natural. Um, he's not a robot. He's a human. So I, I think if you could get him as few touches as possible, then you do that. But if you're in a close game in the second half at all, then yeah, 25, 30 carries, totally within the, the reasonable range of outcomes for Ollie. It is time for the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Preview, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. we got basketball season is here. Uh, be sure to get your OSU hoops gear over at Chris's University Spirit. It'll hook you up with the latest jersey, T-shirts, pullovers, you name it. they got some really sweet basketball gear to check out, so be sure to shop at Chris's University Spirit if you're in Stillwater or online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Com. All right, Colby, another road game. Uh, plenty of options. Let's hope we don't see orange, white, black again anytime soon. But what's your call? Yeah, I'm looking at Houston's jerseys here. I, I guess it probably depends on what color Houston is going to wear, because if they are going to wear their bright reds, um, then a red orange clash would be a little goofy. I know you can't wear orange shirts, but I'm just talking about helmet and pants. Uh, so I think Oklahoma State is going to lean more toward just a black and white look and I feel like I've predicted this look at a few times throughout the season, but I think that I'm going to go back to it one more time, one last time, and I'm going to go black, white, black um, to not have any orange and red weird contrasting out on the field. So I will go black, orange, black, cur- or pardon me, black, white, black, curse of Cowboys on the helmets. Yep, I like that pick. I'll do black, white, black as well, but I'll go with the brand, the matte black brand helmet. Uh, I think it's a good look. Haven't worn that in a bit. Certainly haven't worn it with the new uniforms. So I think that will kind of exercise some of the uniform demons of the the Cleveland Browns look from from last week. So hopefully that uh, that's what they wear because they look good in the black, white, black. And it's more in line with you. Less tricolor, the better for you. So uh, you ready for the toast of the week? Toast of the week. Yep. Uh, you want to go? You want me to? Well, it's Toast of the Week is brought by, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Try the iconic American lager, famous for its rich amber color and medium-bodied flavor with roasted caramel malt for a subtle sweetness and combination of cluster and cascade hops. And this was not written by a four-year-old, Colby. The, this, true original de- deserve, uh, this true original delivers a well-balanced taste with very distinct character born from a historic recipe that was resurrected in 1987, before young Colby came along, Yingling traditional lager is a true American classic. It's what they're known for. It's what they're best at. So be sure to check out the traditional lager at your nearest location. Uh, I'll go, Colby. Are you still with me? I'm with you. Yep. Okay. I will go. I'm going to give a toast. And we need a lot of beers for this conference. The Big Ten West. The updated standings. Every team not named Iowa has a negative point differential in the conference. And Iowa only got to that last week to, to get above the mean, they've, meaning they've given up more points than they've scored. Every single team sands Iowa, and Iowa needed to win like 22 to nothing last week to make that possible. Northwestern Colby had scandal to begin the year, fires their coach before the year even starts, and they've gone three and four in the Big Ten West. They're five and five overall. You don't even have to have a head coach 
to go 500 in the Big Ten. That's how bad it is. Nebraska, they're 5-5 five and five overall, losing record in conference. Just embarrassing. They can't even win in the Big Ten West. Wisconsin stinks. Illinois is terrible. Minnesota's a joke. Purdue's the worst team in the Big Ten West, which is likely the case that you're the worst Power Five school in the country currently. So you need a lot of beer to watch that game. Uh, Michigan, as I referenced on the last pod, didn't throw a pass after seven minutes left in the second quarter against Penn State. Supposedly some big-time top ten matchup. Um, It's going to be fun to watch Michigan have to face an offense with a pulse in the playoff because I think they're going to get – Torch, just like they were against TCU. That's a good one. I like that. Um, Carson, I want to play a little bit of a game here with our listeners, and you'll have to tell me if anybody gets it right since I don't have access to my Twitter. But you and I are going to play golf this Saturday. Uh, We're going to play at the Greens. We haven't played together in a couple of years, and we both have a free Saturday. So we're going to play middle of the day. Might have to watch the first quarter of the OSU-Houston game on our phones, then we'll be able to catch the rest. I want our listeners to tweet in, and if anyone can correctly predict both of our scores on Saturday at the Greens, then I will Venmo that person $20 so that they can go out and get themselves a six-pack, 12-pack, whatever they want of the Yingling flight. What, what's your handicap so that we can get some context for the people as they guess our golf scores? Well, it's tough to say because I don't have my gin updated. I don't, I'm not a member anywhere anymore. And I've only played maybe five, six times this entire calendar year. My new oh, job doesn't really allow for that. That's so depressing. I was down to like a four or five when I was playing a lot, but uh, I'm weird because I shot 75 out at Oak Tree West the previous time out, but then I shot 88 on Sunday at Gallardia. And, but I hit, seven of the first nine greens i hit i think 13 out of 18 greens just the the short game the putting it's it's left me so uh, no matter what happens i'm gonna get accused of sandbagging that's 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 a certainty but for for people out there i i think at the greens i would think about a 80 you know anywhere between the 80 85 range would be a good pick but if i play well i can definitely break 80 so i don't i don't know i don't know what my handy what's the par out there 72 uh 71 71 uh one par two on the back I would, I'd probably guess my handicap right now is about a 10. Okay. I'd probably go higher, but I don't think people will let me go higher than that. I don't think the guys we're playing with are going to let you go any higher than that. For well, sure. Well, and I was driving, I was keeping up with, you know, Mike Stewart out drove him and Fant a couple holes that who you guys, you know, so. Okay. And I hit greens. So it's, I'm better than my score. Let's say, let's put it that way. Okay, sounds good. And it's, it's a course you're familiar with. I'm still a member there. You used to be. So you're familiar. Um, I'm a .4 index, and like 90% of my scores this year have been between 72 and 77. So uh, that's probably the, the range I'm going to fall in. So if anybody guesses them both correctly, then I'll Venmo you $20. You go get some yingling. If nobody guesses them both correctly, then I'm going to take the $20, and I'm going to go get some yingling. Uh, so what if I guess it correctly? Uh, no, because you can manipulate the result. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. If, if Insider got, trading. No, no go. If you've got a three footer on the 18th, but if you miss it, then you win the 20, you're yeah. probably not going to make the three footer. So, okay. Um, I buy that. My toast of the week. And, and this might come as a surprise to some people, uh, after the way I spoke about this conference at the beginning of the show, but I am giving my yingling toast of the week to the big 12 conference. And it is very simple. Why? There are two reasons. Number one. They did ultimately get it right. Common sense did prevail. If there are three teams tied, even if they haven't all played each other, 
If one of the three teams has beaten the other two teams head-to-head, yes, that team should advance. So common sense prevailing is one of the reasons they get my toast. The other reason they get my toast is because of the confusion and because of the clarification, they have yet further driven the OU fan base into madness, just a pit of madness, and <laughs> man, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's a, it's just everything's going wrong for them on the way out the door. You said earlier, you're like, Kansas State would have been in in that scenario, so I don't know why they're mad. I know why they're mad. They're still mad about what happened in Stillwater, so now they're just mad about everything, and it is an absolute pleasure to watch it from the stands. So, yeah, Yingling Toast of the Week, Big 12 Conference for those two reasons. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they were comparing some of the that one pass interference. I think it might have been McKinney who committed it in the end zone, looked just like the Drake Stoops one, only – not as bad, and they they called it in the first quarter. They were so triggered by that. It was it's yeah. just the gift that keeps on giving. Like guys, nobody is arguing that it was not pi on Dylan Smith on Drake Stoops. We're just arguing that you're a bunch of crybabies, and there were five minutes left in the game, and we hope that you never stop talking about it because it's greatly entertaining to us. Yep. So we'll have our scenarios to play out, but first, let's make our predictions on this weekend, Colby. OSU a seven point favorite. What's your what's your prediction? And how do you uh, see it playing out? Yeah, I think that they cover that. I, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to come out slow. Last week, again, I think was just very fluky. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State actually probably exits the first quarter with a 10- to 14-point lead. Um, they were marching down the field last week, a couple of, of weird turnovers, and then they let UCF get into rhythm because I just I think they came out flat. Um, I don't think that that happens this week. Backs against the wall, coming off a big loss instead of an emotional win. I think Oklahoma State comes out, plays well early. Uh, I think it's probably somewhere in the range of 24 to 10 at halftime. And I think Oklahoma State ultimately wins the game 41 to 24. Uh, Hopefully Texas does its job. And then we'll be down to one week with much more predictable scenarios to get Oklahoma State to Arlington. But 41 to 24 is my prediction for Saturday in Houston. Yeah, Houston's a weird team. They're kind of like a band of Big 12 misfits. Their quarterbacks, Donovan Smith. We all remember the big quarterback from Texas Tech. They've got Stephon Johnson Jr. from Oklahoma State. He only has 200 yards this year, but it's a revenge revenge game for him. They also have David Ogwebu, the linebacker from Oklahoma. So they've kind of just taken some some leftovers, we'll call them, from other programs, and they're just they're not a very good football team. That being said, you you kind of touched on it earlier, like the game of football being an emotional one, and that this is not going to be the same team we saw a few weeks ago, let alone two months ago. It's hard to win games in November when there's real stakes for your team. That's why every single year everyone's like, oh, my gosh, look at all these undefeated teams. What, who are they going to pick to play in the playoffs? Like, guys, these teams ain't done losing because it's so hard to go undefeated. It's so hard to win a conference championship. And that looms large in November. If Oklahoma State wasn't playing Houston, I'd be very, very, very concerned about this game. But the fact they're playing Houston, they're just flat out better than. They were better than UCF, I grant you. But UCF's got real NFL talent. Uh, R.J. Harvey at running back. The receiving core is really good. Uh, Johnny ne- Johnny Nebrace played the game of his life. You, you turn the page. That being said, I think this game's going to be a bit of a slog. I, I think the offensive line's beat up. I don't think they're going to be able to have as much success running the football as they have. But I am confident in Alan Bowman. Again, I thought he was balling out in the first quarter and his receivers and Offensive line, we're letting him down with holdings and drops. Um, I think he can play well enough in this game to to establish a lead, get Ollie going in the second half, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I'm picking Oklahoma State 28, 
Houston 20. So a little bit of a little bit of a slog, but survive, advance, move on to BYU, get the goalposts reestablished at Boone Pickens Stadium and and go win your way to Arlington. Yeah, I, either one of those scenarios I'm fine with. Those are both covers. Mine would be a little more comfortable. Uh, the only way I see this kind of going poorly for Oklahoma State, you mentioned Stephen Johnson and his 200 yards and revenge game and all that. Th- this would be, if he has a big game, it would remind me, do you remember what Maurice Kalou did in the NCAA tournament? Does that name ring a bell at all? Yeah, for uh, Oregon State, revenge yes. game. Yes, so Maurice Kalou um, wasn't much at Oklahoma State, leaves Oklahoma State, isn't much at Oregon State, and then explodes against Oklahoma State in the NCAA tournament with the game of his career. Um, Stephen Johnson Stephen Johnson had a moment or two at Oklahoma State, but he wasn't great. We were sad to see him go, but he goes down to Houston. Now he's done almost nothing there. If he has a Maurice Kalou game, that could be bad for Oklahoma State. But otherwise, uh, I think the Cowboys are pretty safe on Saturday. Yeah, I distinctly remember tweeting about that. Like, this guy uh, couldn't play dead in Stillwater. Now he's... He was like, he started the game like eight for eight or something crazy. (laughs) It was was just, it was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. So the revenge games are always worrisome, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Anything else, Cole, before we get out of here? Uh, Don't believe so. Thanks everyone for listening. Tweet us your guesses for our golf match on Saturday, and then we'll let you know if anybody won uh, on our recap show coming up next week. Thanks everyone. As always, go Pokes.